Well, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter was writing to a group of persecuted believers who were spread across what is today northern Turkey. And they had come to Christ just like you and I. They had never seen Jesus. They had just heard people sharing with them about who Jesus is and the work he had done in so many lives. And they believed, and they were born again. But they were living in a pre-Christian world, as you and I today are living in a post-Christian world. The claims of Christ, the teaching of the word that used to be so prevalent in our country is waning. It's accepted in fewer and fewer places. And sometimes there is even persecution that comes with those who want to live for Christ or live out what he taught us to do. That's what these Christians were experiencing. So many times people feel that when they're going through difficulty or hardship, they wonder where God is. And Peter writes this letter to remind them God is right in the midst of it. In fact, if you really want a blessed life, it might come to you in a way very different than you were expecting. And Peter writes this letter to encourage these believers, and this is what he says to them in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's pray together. Father, this is so countercultural for us. This is not the way we think. This is not the way we normally respond. And that's why so often we miss the kind of blessing Peter was talking about. That a group of persecuted believers could actually be right in the heart of the blessing of God. Many of us in this room today, if not all of us, are going through trials right now of some kind. And you have a purpose in it for good and for your glory. Help us today, God, to hear what you want us to hear, that we may receive the same encouragement and hope as we live the hope of a blessed life. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What people want most, what they ask God for the most, is that they be blessed. We hear it all the time. People say, God, I pray that you'll bless me. You'll bless my spouse, my kids, my job, my vacation, my house, my health. Bless my finances, my upcoming surgery, my marriage, my family, my business, and on and on it goes. And there's nothing wrong with these prayers. God loves to bless us. But sometimes the blessing we need or the blessing that God wants us to experience is different than what we think. 
In fact, so different, I don't know if any of us would really ever think to ask for it. Do you remember when Jesus was gathered with the multitudes early in his ministry, people were coming by the thousands to meet him on hillsides or by the lake or wherever he was. And many of them are coming because they wanted to be blessed. They had diseases, they had illnesses, they had financial strife, they had all kinds of problems. They were coming to Jesus to be blessed. And do you remember what Jesus told them? It was the opposite of what they expected. As strangely sounding to their ears as it probably does to us today. We don't think of blessing like this. But Jesus said, you want to be blessed? And here's the blessing in the kingdom of God. And he gave them the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told the crowd that day, you're blessed when you are poor, when you mourn, when you're meek, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you're merciful, when you're pure, when you're peacemakers, and when you're persecuted. They weren't expecting that. In fact, what we want is usually the opposite. We want to be rich, joyful, strong, filled, respected, peaceful, and pain-free. That's our idea of blessing. But God's view of living a blessed life here on earth is very, very different. And that's why Peter wrote to a group of persecuted believers to help them to realize how blessed they were right where they were. And Peter told them that how they responded to their enemies, how they responded to the pagan world, how they responded to their trials all around them was the key to a blessed life. That's why he told them in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter tells these people, repay evil with good. You know, in the world today, there are three basic levels of response to good or response to evil. There are people who return evil for good. People do good to them, they return evil in return. That's what Satan does. That's the satanic level. And then there are people who return good for good or evil for evil. You're good to me, I'm good to you. You're evil to me, I'm going to pay you back. That's the human level. That's what we're used to. But then Peter said there's another level. It's returning good for evil. It's returning a blessing when you are reviled. That's the divine level. That's the way Jesus did it. And that's the way he still is wanting to do it in the lives of those in whom he lives. And when you do this, Peter told them, you will be a blessing and you will inherit a blessing. 
You know, so often when we hear the word blessing, we think of all this good stuff that's going to happen, and that's part of it. But there's another side to blessing altogether. In fact, the word blessing that Peter uses is a word that, speak, that means to speak well of. In other words, to become worthy of praise as Jesus lived worthy of play, praise. A blessed life does not mean easy or free of pain or safe or trouble-free. A blessed life may be full of trials. It may be full of problems. It may be full of pain. But it's a life lived with and for Jesus. It's a right life lived with him in the midst of your circumstances. And Jesus lived such a life, and now he seeks to live that life in us, Peter's telling him. That's why he told them those who choose to follow Jesus can experience the hope of a blessed life. How do we experience this hope of a blessed life? Peter told them, you turn from evil, you do good. You revere Christ as Lord and live out this hope. Christians can experience the hope of a blessed life when they turn from evil and do good. Peter said in verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. Dr. John Perkins was born in 1930. He grew up as a black man in the segregated South, Mississippi. He is a pastor, a civil rights activist, a Bible teacher, a philosopher, an author, a community developer. He has been given 13 honorary doctorates from some of the most prestigious universities in our country. He has served on the boards of World Vision, Chuck Colson's Prison Fellowship, and the accolades of his accomplishment in his career go on and on and on. I met Dr. Perkins one night at Wheaton College. I was scheduled to give a keynote address at the university there, at the college there. I was a little late getting to the program. They whisked me up on the stage, and I sat down. I looked to my left, and Dr. John Perkins is sitting there. I had never met him. I said, Dr. Perkins, what an honor to meet you. And I said, you know what? I said, everybody in this auditorium, including me, would rather have you speaking tonight. What do you say? He looked over and he said, but God has chosen you tonight, my son. <laughs> Such a gracious, gracious man. Man, I loved, I loved meeting him. He wrote a book in 2009 in collaboration with a young white professor named Charles Marsh. They co-authored a book together entitled Welcoming Justice. And when they were telling the story about their meeting, how they got together, Charles Marsh grew up in a, um, what he called a very racist home. 
And he felt like he needed to tell Dr. Perkins this as they began collaborating on this book together so he'd have a context of what he was coming from. In fact, Charles Marsh told Dr. Perkins, um, my grandmother is an ardent racist who thought that Martin Luther King Jr. was a dangerous troublemaker and that most blacks were better off under slavery. He said, I just need to tell you, this is my background. And he said, the way Dr. Perkins responded to that kind of evil changed him. Dr. Perkins simply said to him, what does your grandma grow in her garden? He said, well, what do you mean? What does she grow? Cucumbers, squash, mint, tomatoes? I have the sweetest tomatoes in my garden this summer. You can eat them like apples. Your grandmother like tomato sandwiches? I'll bet she does. And let me ask you another question. Does she like blueberries? I love blueberries. I love them freshly picked over ice cream in blueberry pie. I always keep blueberries in my refrigerator. And when we get to our house, I'm going to give you a bag of blueberries. And I want you to take them to your grandmother and you tell her they're a gift from me. After Perkins gave Marsh the bag of blueberries, Marsh said that that gift changed me. I couldn't believe how he was responding to my grandmother who is an ardent racist. He said that kind of a gift marks you as a new kind of person. He wrote, I haven't been the same person since I accepted those blueberries. People, what did Dr. Perkins do in the face of evil? He turned from evil and did good. Just like Jesus does. Remember it was Jesus when he was being spiked to a cross who said, Father, forgive them. They don't have any idea what they're doing. People, this is what Peter was teaching these persecuted Christians to do. In the face of evil that was surrounding them, he said, you do good in return. Finally, all of you, verse 8, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days, Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, a Psalm of David. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ear are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Turn from evil and do good. More specifically, as, Dave, as uh, Peter quotes from David, David in Psalm 34 is writing about a time very dangerous in his life when he was surrounded by evil, surrounded by fear. And David writes Psalm 34 to tell people, if you would love life and you want to see good days, here's how you respond. And he quotes it in verses 10 through 12. Warren Wiersbe, pastor, author, radio commentator, wrote in his commentary on 1 Peter, Peter quoted these statements from Psalm 34, 12 through 15. It would be profitable for you to read the entire psalm. And then he said, it describes what God means by good days. 
They're not necessarily days free from problems. For the psalmist in Psalm 34 wrote about fears and troubles and afflictions and even a broken heart. A good day for the believer who loves life is not one in which he's pampered and sheltered, but one in which he experiences God's help and blessing because of life's problems and trials. In Psalm 34, David said, it's a day that magnifies the Lord. A good day is one that experiences answer to prayer. A good day is one that tastes the goodness of God. And a good day is one that senses the nearness of God. And Warren Mearsby said, the next time you think you're having a bad day and you hate life, read Psalm 34 and you may discover, as Peter and these people did, you are really having a good day to the glory of God. Peter told these Christians that their trials were creating an opportunity to love life and see good days if they responded correctly. So he tells them, when people speak evil of you, don't use your mouth to speak evil of them. Your mouth doesn't belong to you. Your mouth belongs to Jesus. So let him speak through you. And when people do evil things, don't respond with evil in return. Do good. And when strife and conflict abound, seek peace and pursue it. Not peace at any price. Peace is not the highest virtue. It's not peace at the compromise of truth and righteousness. But what he's telling them is, what is right must never be sacrificed on the altar of peace. But when you stand for truth, when you stand for what's right, don't do it with malice or retaliation. Do it with grace. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, God has called you to a transformed life. This is countercultural. You don't normally live this way, but Jesus does. Remember in 12, Romans 12, verse 1? Here's the secret. Therefore, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. The world gives evil for good or good for good or evil for evil, but you don't do that. That's the world's pattern. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul went on to tell him in Romans 12, verse 9, the very same thing Peter was teaching. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How about this? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. People, I don't live like this. Only Jesus lives like that. And he said, Larry, I want to live that in you. So I'm going to keep putting you in situations that are going to drain you of yourself. You're not going to be able to find the answers. You're going to hate some of the things you're involved in. But in this, I'm going to show the world through you what Jesus looks like. And I'm going to keep bringing you into these things until you learn this. You want to be like my son. I know you do. So I'm going to teach it to you. Wow. Peter said, if you do this, you'll inherit a blessing. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Don't be frightened. What did he tell them? You live like this, the eyes of the Lord are going to be on you. He's watching. His ears are going to be attentive to your prayer, and he's going to turn his face to you. He turns it away from evil, but he's going to turn his face to you. And even if people return evil for your good, you're blessed. Generally, people are not going to seek to harm people who do good. But even if they do, Peter said, don't be afraid. They're treating you the way they treated Jesus. And that's the point. In fact, Paul told Titus when he sent him out to Crete to help start the church there. He said to that young man, God is eager to have people live like this because it identifies them as his and it shines his glory more brightly in the world. People don't expect to see this. And when they do, they notice. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is what? Good. He's looking for people like this. He went on to tell him in Titus 3, verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Those who do these things, Peter said, can experience the hope of a blessed life, living 
and experiencing the life that Jesus lives. Amazing. Not only turn from evil and do good, but he said Christians can experience the hope of a blessed life when they revere Christ as Lord and live out their hope. He said in verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Revere Christ, live out your hope. Ken Hutcherson was a Super Bowl linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, eventually went on to play for the Seattle Seahawks. He was born in Alabama, lived in a sharecropper's home. By his own testimony, he grew up as an angry young man who hated white people. In fact, in his testimony, he shares how, because of his hatred for white people, he could have played professional baseball, but he went into professional football because in football he could hurt white people legally. That's what he said in his testimony. But then he met Jesus, and everything changed. I met Hutch at a team Bible study for the Seattle Seahawks in 1977. God used him and another man who's a good friend of mine, Sherman Smith, to help lead me to Jesus. Hutch was one of my early mentors. And he taught me, Larry, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Ken went to be with Jesus in December 2013. We were two weeks apart in age. I used to remind him he was older than me. I talked and visited with him a number of times during his long ordeal with cancer. It absolutely destroyed his body. And in one of those discussions, he talked to me about the hope of a blessed life. If you want to read about it, he wrote a book called Hope is Contagious. And in that conversation, Hutch said to me, Larry, I thank God for my cancer. Because through this cancer, I've had more opportunity to share my hope in Jesus with more people than I otherwise would ever have met. And I thank God for my cancer. Because prior to this, getting cancer was my greatest fear. But now that I have it, I don't fear anything except God alone. I thank God for my cancer. People, that's the kind of fear, reverence, and awe and honor for God that only those who have been through the ringer will ever learn. Peter told these persecuted believers that the blessings come to those who revere God and live in hope. Verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ 
may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That word revere means to sanctify, set apart, honor Jesus as Lord in your heart. And what Peter is quoting from is a passage in Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 8, verse 12, where Isaiah was telling the people of Jerusalem, surrounded by the Babylonian armies, I know you're afraid, and I know you feel threatened, and you don't know what's going to happen, and destruction's on the horizon, but you don't have to be afraid. You set apart the Lord in your hearts. You revere him. In fact, Isaiah went on to say in Isaiah 8, verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. You see, Isaiah was telling the people of Jerusalem, I know the armies of Babylon are out there. I know God has predicted this destruction. It's judgment for the way you've been living, but you have been living for God. Don't worry. I know things are scary. I know they're out of control, and you don't know what's going to happen, but God is in control. He's the Lord Almighty. You know those armies out there? The word Isaiah used was literally, he is Yahweh of the armies. He controls everything, nations, armies, kingdoms, movements, people, nations. He controls it all. Peter tells these believers, yes, some of you are going through some scary times. Some of you are being persecuted. Some of your loved ones are dying for their faith. It's happening right now in greater number all over the world. More Christians died for Christ in the 20th century alone than all 19 prior centuries combined. You just don't hear about it in the news. You don't hear of the faithful people standing up. It's been brought more to our attention since the rise of of ISIS and radical Islamist terrorism. I know things are, are scary, Peter told them. And you don't know all that will happen, but don't be afraid. You fear God. Respect him as Lord. He's almighty. He's in control. Nothing's going to happen to you outside of his control. And if he allows it to happen, it's going to be for your good and his glory. You may die in the battle, but no harm will come to you. Cancer ravaged my friend Hutch's body. It destroyed it. But cancer never touched Hutch. It couldn't. In fact, he was getting stronger on the inside while his outside was decaying. And he got to a point where he was so strong on the inside, that old decrepit body couldn't hold him anymore. He blasted out of it. And he went to be with Jesus. So Peter tells him, let your hope in Jesus shine. And when others see it, they'll ask how you have such a hope. And even if they've been bad-mouthing Christians and everything else, because none of us are perfect, and some of us deserved, when they see you living a hope like this, they'll be ashamed that they slandered you because they've never seen a hope like this. It's a hope they're looking for. You tell them, Jesus is my hope. He's my living hope. And that's the hope you're seeing. The Apostle Paul told the Romans in Romans 8, if God's for us, who can be against us? 
This love of God that you've come to know, you can never be separated from it again. Nothing will separate you. You're a conqueror in Christ Jesus. People, that's our hope. And when you live like that, people will see it. And they're going to ask you, where does that hope come from? So be ready, Peter said. You be ready. When you respond like this, your conscience will be clear. You're doing right. And if you suffer for doing this kind of good, you are blessed. You're doing it right. And don't ever forget that someday you who share with Jesus in his sufferings are also going to share with him in his glory. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's our hope, the hope of a blessed life. Carl and I have some missionary friends, actually they're native Nigerians who live in Nigeria, actually live in Kenya, near Nigeria. Nigeria is a tough place today to be living as a Christian, especially in northeastern Nigeria where there are radical insurgents with Boko Haram, the Islamic militants there are doing such horrible things. There's a Christian pastor there in Jos, Nigeria called Hassan John. He is a pastor and a part-time journalist for CNN. Boko Haram has 150,000 Naira bounty on his head. It's about 800 American dollars. He goes to his church each day not knowing whether someone will murder him and order the claim to price or not, but he goes anyway. He said, as an Anglican pastor and a part-time journalist for CNN, he's 52 years old, he has often been surrounded by violence and bloodshed in his home region of northeast Nigeria. He's seen friends shot dead in front of him, injured and maimed in front of his eyes. As a reporter, he has rushed to scenes immediately after bombings where Boko Haram and other Islamic insurgents have blown up innocent people. He said, bodies lie everywhere. You can drive along the road and see bodies lying beside the road. You visit people in the hospital, you go back and meet these families, you cry with them, you console them, you do the best that you can in the light of these difficult times. But this article I was reading said this violence and hatred has not stopped him from reaching out to his Muslim neighbors. He reaches out to them with the love of Christ, some from the families of the people who are persecuting he started helping one little Muslim girl. After that, it was helping 12 Muslim women. Then it became 120 women, and it began to spread. Now young Muslim men are coming to him, wanting to know about his hope and of whether or not he can help them. Hassan's evangelistic outreach involves eating meals with these Muslims. And Hassan explained, in Nigeria, that's a big thing because you don't eat with your enemy because you're afraid that you'll be poisoned. But now, in an attempt to share the gospel and the love of Christ, Christians are building friendships with these Muslim families, some of whom 
are our persecutors. And he said, it is just so marvelous. When I read about Pastor John, I thought, how in the world do you live a life every day in the face of persecution, knowing that there's a price on your head? You see family and friends blown up, killed and maimed, and you reach out to the families of some of the same people who are doing these things, and you call the experience marvelous. It's because you know the hope of a blessed life. A life that turns from evil and does good. A life that honors Christ and lives in hope. The blessed life is often not what we expect. We want things to be smooth, but God says, no, the real blessing will be walking with me down a road that Jesus walked. John Piper in his book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence, said, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth and Peter and others is to help us feel in our bones, not just know in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He's plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and the glory of Jesus Christ. Part of the good, Peter said, is experiencing the blessing of a living hope, being lived out in extraordinary circumstances just like Jesus did. Father, I have a lot to learn about this. This is not naturally how I respond, and that's the point. It's not to be me responding anymore. If I'm a Christian, Christ lives in me. Christian isn't just a name. It isn't just a label. It isn't just another religion. This is a relationship with God. And I want to thank you today for all the people in our church, all those who are listening live online right now, all over the world. Every single one of us is facing challenges, some of us trials, some even persecution. And what I'm asking, God, is that you will help us, that you will live your life through us, the life that shows your glory to a lost world and gives us the hope of a blessed life, a life like yours. We can't do it on our own, but you can. Give us wisdom, God, how to do this. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen.